today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, much needed help for the airline industry, which of course has been crippled as so many other industries have because of what's happened over the last year and a half or so. And uh, this week, Finance Minister Christy Freeland said Air Canada has agreed to several commitments, including refunding passengers whose flights were canceled during the pandemic, restoring service to regional airports, and protecting the airline's thousands of active employees. Air Canada workers' jobs, pensions, and collective agreements will be protected. We also have a guarantee that there will be no further job losses. At the same time, dividends and share buybacks will be restricted and executive compensation will be capped. This is a, a multifaceted uh, deal for Air Canada, which they've agreed to, by the way. Uh, and we have well, a number of questions being raised here, like what about the other carriers and, and things of this nature, too. By the way, part of the deal with Air Canada, we're told, is uh, the federal government is also buying some stock uh, in Air Canada. We'll try to get some details about what that entails, too. Joining us to uh, try to sift through all of this is uh, Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, good to have you with us. Hope you're doing well today. I'm fine, thank you, Bill. Glad to be with you. Well, the Canadian government has bought stock in Air Canada. I guess we're in the airline business again here, are we? Yeah, we're back in the airline business, first time in about 30 years. So, Bill, I think why this seems a little complicated to people is that there are really three pots of money that when you put them all together represent a total of $5.8 billion. The first pot, and this is the easiest one to understand, is that um, the federal government is buying $500 million worth of shares in Air Canada. So that's what we call an equity injection. That money doesn't have to be repaid because it's equity, but at some point the Canadian government will likely sell its shares on the market and hopefully recoup the $500 million, if not more, if they're able to get this thing successfully turned around. The other reason about the equity is it also gives them a seat at the board table. So that as big strategic decisions are being discussed at the board, they're there. They've got an ear on the proceedings. They're listening, and they're on the insider track. Uh, to that point, uh, as soon as I saw that, Marvin, it, it reminded me of a conversation you and I had back in 2009 uh, when the uh, the Canadian government and the provincial government of Ontario here actually collaborated to try to save the auto industry. And part of that deal was to buy shares in, in those companies, uh, which they did sell at one point, did they not? I mean, they, did, they made their money back, at least a lot of it back. Yes. So uh, the, the answer to the shares is, yes, they bought shares, and when they sold them, they made a profit on the shares. The problem was the other part of the deal back in 2009, which was to loan the car companies some money, and they did not get all of that back. So if you net what they gained on the shares and then subtract what they lost on the loans, I think there was still an overall net loss, but certainly nowhere near the total exposure they had at the start. And that's the same question here. After the $500 million equity injection, the next, next biggest amount, and I'm going to tell you it's around uh, uh, you know, $2.83 billion, is a loan to Air Canada, a low-interest loan, 1% a year for the next 10 years. And the string attached to that is, yes, it's going to help you. You've canceled 73% of your flights in 2020, so it'll give you working capital, but, but you must use the, some of this money to uh, keep people employed, uh, reinstate some roots in lesser-served uh, lesser communities like Fredericton and I think Yellowknife is two examples. Um, and so you're, you know, your costs are going to go up a little bit. You can't pare everything to the bone because we demand that you continue to serve those people. 
Now, the other element to this, too, and this has been a contentious item for a long, long time now, uh, is, of course, is compensation for passengers uh, for canceled flights and things of this nature. That's a pretty big price tag. Yeah, so the third pot of money is roughly $1.8 billion. Now, I say roughly because we're still not quite clear how much goes back to passengers. Let me explain. When I buy a ticket on an airplane, I can even if I'm flying economy, I can buy different classes of economy. Some tickets are fully refundable when I buy them for whatever the reason is. Others, oh, no, I'm sorry, you bought it, you missed your flight, you don't get your money back. Um, so... Uh, people were buying these tickets in early 2020, not realizing the pandemic was coming. Now, the rule seems to be that if Air Canada canceled a flight because of COVID, they said, okay, we're not flying to Florida, or we're not flying to Vancouver, or we're not flying to the United States. At the moment, all they gave consumers was a voucher. They didn't give them cash. And the government is saying, okay, use this money to give people back their uh, ticket purchase. However, if you canceled the flight, not if Air Canada canceled it, but if you just said, mm, I, don't, I don't feel good about flying, I want to cancel, no guarantee that you're going to get cash from this fund. Or if during this period of time Air Canada canceled a flight due to weather, uh, oh, I want my money back. Well, no, it depends upon what class of ticket you bought. So there will be confusion, and I know there will be consumers uh, assuming that they'll get their money back in cash no matter what they did, and they are going to discover there are strings on this because if Air Canada just gives all of this cash away, they're no better off as an operating entity. They want to help consumers, and the government wants to help them too. And the idea with this pot of money is they only draw on it to pay back consumers. So if they don't need the full $1.8 billion, they're not actually going to get anything more than they pay back. It's just a flow-through amount. All right, let's, let's talk about the, the ramifications and, and the impact this is going to have. Uh, we, we know that, you know, the airline industry has really been banged by this, obviously. Yep. People, are A, are afraid to travel, or B, just don't feel as if it's the right thing to do. All of the airlines have lost a ton of money on this. Uh, what are the chances of this getting paid back? But I guess more importantly, what are the chances that this is actually going to save Air Canada? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, put the wing beneath the wings. Yeah. Uh, and t- I don't expect, you know, happy days are here again to happen six months after all of this is signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, but does this give them some, a foundation to build on to try to get back to where they were? Right. So to that last question, the answer is absolutely. Um, everything we are seeing and hearing, and there are people who are doing surveys asking people hypothetically about post-pandemic behavior, All of these surveys tell us that whenever the all-clear is sounded, consumers want to go back to the way they were living before. Yes, I hear you. There are some people who would be concerned, and they will take a little longer. But if you have a winter place in Arizona or in Florida, if if you like heading to Mexico for a week to de-stress in February, you want to do that in 2021. And we think, and most of the signs so far with the economy suggest there will be a fairly strong rebound once we can get COVID in the rearview mirror. The problem is, first, we don't know exactly when COVID goes in the rearview mirror. And then the other thing we're not quite clear on is whether, as part of flying, there will be some requirement of what I'll call a vaccine passport, that you you can fly wherever you want to as long as you've got some proof. And that might be caused not by the airlines, but caused by uh, the, the, the countries themselves. In other words, if I want to fly to Mexico, or I want to fly to the States, or I want to fly to Europe, 
I might have to have proof of vaccination to do so. So just when is that going to start? We don't know. But we think it will be before the end of this year. Uh, yes, this deal should make sure that Air Canada is on solid ground. Now, the problem for the federal government is Air Canada, though it's the biggest of the airlines, it's not the only one in trouble. Mm-hmm. Now, the next logical one is WestJet. We haven't heard about any deal with WestJet. Then you've got Porter Airlines. This is the airline that was flying out of Toronto Island. And then there's also Air Transat, who, again, Air Canada just walked away from that deal to acquire them. They say they need at least $500 million to survive. So I think we'll probably hear about more deals like this in the next week or two, letting Air Canada's deal be the template for the rest of them. Uh, are we talking the same amounts of money? I know the airlines no. aren't as big, uh, but the, the, the problems are the same. Yeah, the problems are the same. The amounts will be smaller. WestJet is the second largest carrier, and, and don't be shocked to hear that that deal could be 2 to $3 billion. That would be in the right ballpark. But for both Porter and for Air Transat, I think the numbers will be well under a billion dollars. Total expenditure to save the airline industry in Canada will be less than $10 billion. But there's another little warning here, Bill. Uh, we know this in Hamilton. Uh, okay, you save the airlines. What about the airports? So uh, these airports, Hamilton being a good example, they've lost a significant volume of of passenger traffic. Now, it's not in financial trouble because Hamilton Airport relies heavily, maybe even more than half of its revenues, on um, commercial traffic. In other words, all those carriers like UPS and Perlator and what have you who use it as a parcel delivery center. So I think it's surviving okay during this. Um, but the question would be there are littler uh, airports like in London, Ontario, or you use Fredericton as an example, which almost exclusively rely on passenger traffic. Are they going to need some kind of a bailout as well? So, you know, I don't want to tell you that the total ticket to, bear out, uh, to bail out all of the airport and airline industry will be capped at $10 billion, but that gives you a good ballpark number. Yeah, because your point's well taken. I mean, it's the industry itself that's 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 really on its knees right now. And, you're, and by the way, you're, you're, the numbers we saw with uh, John C. Monroe Hamilton Airport actually are pretty good. Yeah. Because uh, their cargo traffic has actually increased because people are ordering online. Right. Uh, you know. So and and you know, as I say, when I was going to work every morning, driving down to the radio station, I had a, a fleet of perlator trucks behind me, and I can still hear them, of course, because I live near the airport. So they're doing just fine, thank you very much. But I'm sure they'd love to see an increase in traffic and. Uh, you talked about restoring some of those uh, those flights. Uh, that Hamilton to Calgary flight uh, that WestJet did was a very popular one, and that's one of the ones they canceled because of this, which begs the question, Marvin. Uh, I understand here's the agreement. We'll, we'll focus on Air Canada because we do know what that agreement is all about. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned some of these smaller places. Uh, Bathurst, New Brunswick, Frederick, New Brunswick, Penticton, B.C., places like that. Uh, the justification that Air Canada and probably WestJet and others always say is, look, if they're not profitable right now, uh, wait until we've, we've got a little more money in the bank and maybe we can do this. Have they put a time frame on this? Because uh, I, I know that the government stated as one of their priorities uh, reestablishing these regional carriers as fast as possible to try to connect the country again. Yeah, the short answer to your question is no, uh, because I think there's two sides to this coin. Uh, one is now it's economically possible to reopen these airports, but does anyone want to fly to those places? And so my gut feeling is, and, and again, I've not seen any details released in the press about this, that we're probably talking about restoring that service 
two months from now, some point in June, late June, maybe even early July. The thinking is by that point, uh, if you follow the vaccination trends, we might get 40 to 50 percent of the country vaccinated by that point. Thus, people's willingness to hop on a plane and see loved ones that they've not seen for a year or two or, or take a new grandchild to show a grandma someplace else. You know, that's probably the timeline. So I don't think this is going to happen instantly. It will be phased in, but I think it's probably two to three months down the road. Uh, they also talked about, the, and again, this is to your point about the smaller airports, uh, that Air Canada is going to have to have some discussion with some of the smaller carriers uh, and subsidiaries. I mean, Air Canada and, and frankly, some of the other airlines uh, have some smaller airlines, some discount airlines that are impacted by this. Does the deal also have a, a, an impact on what they're going to be doing and when they may get back in the air? Yeah, I, I, again, I think the answer to this is yes. If the parent can become healthy, then all of the limbs that come off the parent, all the children that feed off the parent, will also become healthier and can go from there. So I, I feel quite confident this is the deal we need to get at least Air Canada through past the end of the pandemic. We need now to see that with some of the other big carriers like WestJet, like Air Transat, like uh, Porter. But my feeling is this is now just a matter of days. And by the way, Bill, uh, t- uh, trust me, next Monday on April 19th when we have the federal budget, expect a lot of crowing from Christia Freeland about this. And, uh, uh, you know, look what we've done, look how we've saved the industry and so on and so forth. And if there happens to be a spring election caused by by the budget, trust me again, they're going to be pointing out to the, I think it's nearly 30,000 people who work at Air Canada you know, we were there for you. So for them, this this is something really to crow about. Let's talk about callbacks. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs. And I know that uh, that Minister Freeland, in the clip we just played at the beginning of our interview here, said, you know, that the people that have jobs are going to keep those jobs. They aren't getting any more layoffs. Uh, what about the folks that, that don't work there currently and, and used to? Uh, do, do they kiss those jobs goodbye? Or is there a possibility that with the growth that they may be asking some of these people to come back? Yeah, so a couple of things on that front, Bill. Air Canada was one of the many, many companies that took advantage of the Canadian emergency wage subsidy to try to keep people as employed as possible during all of this. Now, again, that they've got security, they can pass some of this back to the staff that they've had to lay off. So, again, I don't think the layoff ending notices are going to go out in the next day or two. But over the next couple of months, I would not be surprised to see them start to call people back. Again, if you've not been working for a few months, there's some training that has to be done. You can't just get back into the cockpit and fly a plane if you haven't been in a plane for for several months. So I think they'll begin the process of calling them back. The other part of this is that this deal does not exclude them from continuing to use the Canadian emergency wage subsidy as long as COVID comes. And I say that to you because... Uh, depending upon who you are, I think most people feel that we are at the start of a third wave of COVID. And yes, we're locked down for a month and we hope to get past this. But I, I, I hate to say these things out loud. Okay, this is wave number three. Is there a wave number four? And that's the problem. No one can be in charge of the disease. We are hoping there won't be a fourth wave because we get the vaccines out there. But if I'm Air Canada, we've got to give them enough wiggle room to adjust to whatever the current circumstances are with this disease the hope everyone's hope is that by summer which is a big season for the airlines to fly people around we'll be back somewhat to normal but if we aren't and if there's a fourth potential wave of covid or if that wave rears its ugly head come the fall there's still wiggle room for this airline to continue to survive again what i'll tell you is the size of this deal gives them a lot of that wiggle room right now 
as long as we get those vaccines distributed. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Uh, as always, Marvin, thanks so much for the uh, clarity on this. Really appreciate it. Glad to be with you today, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.